0: That is an impactful song, for sure. Thank you so much, beautifully done. And uh, thanks to the praise orchestra back up here. Do you notice how I many there were this morning? We're, we're just a trumpet and a saxophone away from a full orchestra, I think, up here. So uh, any of you that play, let us know. Well, Pastor Paul's away this week. And uh, so uh, in his absence, uh, we have a speaker with us today that was introduced briefly on the weekly announcement sheet, if you've looked at it. Uh, Brad Grazinko, Brad is a uh, has a connection to this church through my daughter. And uh, she married Michaela a few years ago, and Michaela's here today, and their little son Paul, and, uh, which is a familiar name, of course, around here. And uh, so Brad's gonna come and share with us this morning. Let me, let me tell you a little bit as he's working his way up here, because uh, if I can embarrass him, I'm gonna to try to. Um, uh, Brad's from upstate New York, Dundee, New York. He came down south to pursue a Bible degree at Piedmont International University, which he received a few years ago. Currently a student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he'll be finishing his Master's of Divinity degree this coming spring. And we're very proud of him. His family's very proud of him. And uh, we're excited to have him here today. So again, let's welcome Brad as he comes.
1: (laughs) Morning, morning. Is my mic working? Raise your hand if you can hear me. All right. All right, most of you are awake. All right, that's a good place to start. Um, This morning, we're going to be in the book of Philippians in chapter 2. So if you could open your Bibles there. Um, Again, my name is Brad Grazenko. There's my beautiful wife, Michaela, my son, Paul, just like Pastor Paul. We'll see what happens. Um, Before we get started, let's pray. Dear Lord, We thank you for your word, we thank you for your son, um, the living word, who died on the cross for our sins and in whom we have um, new life, Um, and as we just look at your word this morning, God, I pray that you would be working in all of our hearts, that you would soften them, that we would be quick to hear and slow to speak, um, slow to anger that would be seeking um, to submit ourselves to you. Um, If there's anyone in this room that doesn't know your love, God, I pray that they might just get a glimpse of it this morning and they might just come to faith in your Son. I pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. So Philippians 2. You look to the first verse of the book and it says, Paul, and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing to the Philippians. This is a loved book by many, just because um, it's not like 1 Corinthians, where Paul is kind of slamming the hammer down, and it's a little bit more um, confrontational in tone. This letter is a bit more... um, loving, almost, some call it a friendship letter. But the Philippians aren't that much different than we are today. Although some things were different, um, their culture, society, um, how they lived was different. In many ways, it was very similar to how it is today. Um, For example, they even had a highway that went through the city of Philippi called the Via Ignatia. Don't ask me to say that again, but it's kind of like a highway, almost 600 miles long. And that's one of the things that God used to start moving the gospel along um, throughout the world. So before long, you have all of us in here speaking English, hearing the gospel, sharing God's love with each other. Now, we are many thousands of miles away, but how did that happen? Well, God used people just like you and me, um, to take that gospel message of Christ's death on the cross, God's love for his people, and that anyone that believes in him shall have eternal life. We have been given that message um, to take around the world. But before we get to chapter 2, we see Paul, he's talking to the Philippians and he says in verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. So the Philippians were following Christ, but just like today, I would argue, following Christ isn't always easy. Um, In our own personal lives, probably when you woke up this morning, there was a little bit of difficulty because there's sin in this world. You feel a little groggy. You know, you get showered, you get the cup of coffee, and then you start waking up. But then um, your spouse isn't getting ready like you want them to, or your child is screaming. I don't know. I'm not giving any specific examples. (laughs) But there's sin in this world, and it's difficult. I mean, anything could have happened. You could have been driving here, and there could have been a car wreck where someone passed away in an instant. That's because of sin and suffering. This life isn't always easy. And so you see the Philippians are going through something similar to that, but maybe even more so. Maybe there's even people intentionally persecuting them for being Christians. And so what is the message from Paul to the Philippians in that situation? Well, it's a message of hope, hope in Christ Paul encouraged the Philippians to unite. To unite around what? But Christ's humility. He wants them to imitate Christ's humility so that they would be unified. That's what Paul wants to happen in the Philippians. He wants them to be unified. And that's only going to happen if they imitate Christ's humility. So I want to look at that today. We're going to look at three points. Point number one the basis or foundation of our unity. Point number two, the charge to unity, how Paul encourages the Philippians and us today to be united. And then point three, how do we get there? The path to unity. So the basis, the foundation of the home, the basis of our unity, Paul's encouragement to unify, and then thirdly, How do we get there, the path to unity? How will we persevere together through suffering, persecution, temptation, death? The answer is unity. I think today there's a huge need for this. Um, In our society, um, things have never been more disunified. Um, People fighting with their neighbors, even their friends and family, um, most of the families in the United States today are broken up. They are not unified. But as the body of Christ, we're called to be part of something different, something distinct, something countercultural to what the world looks like. We're called to be Christ's church. So let's hop right into the text. Verse 1 of chapter 2 reads If there be Therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. This is the basis for our unity. Right here in verse 1, we see four blessings or gifts from God. Let me read them again. Consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, and bowels and mercies. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I see a word if there. Everybody see see that word if? Yeah, it says if. So are these things certain? Do we actually have these things? Paul here is using a rhetorical device, something that I mean, can look a little confusing on the surface, but if you look down at the things, you could almost just say the word, since you have consolation in Christ, and since you have comfort of love, and since you have fellowship of the Spirit, and since you have bowels and mercies. This was often used back then in letters and in other discussions. It's kind of like if I said to an Olympic athlete, if you have legs... If you have arms, if you have lungs, run. It's not that I don't think the man doesn't have legs or arms or lungs, but I'm reminding him of what he does have, and I'm encouraging him to do something with those. We could almost just answer with a yes. So when Paul says, is there any consolation in Christ? Everybody say, yes. Yes. Is there any comfort of love? Yes. Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Yes. All right, I'm going to need everybody to say it this time. I need to wake up. Is there any bowels and mercies? Yes. Okay. What are even bowels and mercies? And that's what we're going to get into. So what are these blessings that we have from God that are the basis of our unity? I could describe them as cornerstones of a house— The four corners of a foundation? Or maybe a better illustration would be your alarm clock in the morning. Who here uses a phone for their alarm in the morning? Just a few of you. How many alarms do you set to wake up? Do you just set one, or do you set a couple, kind of just so you can sleep, so you wake up, and then you sleep another five minutes, and then another five minutes? I set three alarms every morning. You know, the one to wake me up originally, and then the real alarm. You could think of these as kind of like alarms, where Paul is waking up all of us and reminding us with four blessings we have from God that should cause us to be unified. Four blessings. So what are these blessings? Number one, consolation in Christ. Now, the word consolation... um, it's very similar to the next word, a comfort of love. It could mean uh, comforting. Um, it reminds us of Christ as the good shepherd, our Savior. I was reminded of Matthew 11 that reads, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. This is Jesus speaking. He's saying I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is. Is easy and my burden is light. So in Christ, we have this comfort. So Paul is encouraging all of us. He's reminding reminding us, what do you have in the Lord? And the first thing is, we have comfort. If If your faith is in Christ, then you have rest, you have peace, and you have hope. Now, if our faith is not in Christ, What hope is there? I'm very discouraged when I hear um, kids that I talk to, and they don't believe there's anything outside of this world, and there's nothing after death. And basically, how they perceive of everything is just, we're just an accident. We just, boop, just appeared one day, we're here on this earth. And when we die, we'll just turn into dust and that's it. You can't find comfort in that. You can't find comfort in nothing. And if you try to turn that on yourself and say, I will find comfort, I will find love, and I will find peace and I will find hope in myself, that weight will always crush you. Because one day you're gonna fail yourself. If you put your hope in your achievements, if you put your peace in your achievements, if you put it in wealth, if you put it in your relationships, that person might die, you might lose all that money, and you might lose all of those achievements. And what happens that day? It crushes you. But if your hope and your peace is in Christ, He will hold you up. He is the rock the Good Shepherd. Number two, what is the second basis of our unity? He says, if any, comfort of love. So what is the comfort of love? Is this, again, are we talking about our relationship with other people? Is this comfort we receive from love from others? Possibly. The word here is agape for love. It can be used for human love. But more often than not, and I would argue here, I think this is God's love for us. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus. Jesus Christ, his begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his Son to die for us. That is true sacrificial love. God loves you. God loves you. Now, do you find comfort in that? So Paul is saying, if you have this comforting in Christ, and if you have this love of God, these things should push us towards being unified as one body. He has given us these blessings that only we have as children of God. These should push us towards unity, towards being one body What's the third thing he says that will unify us? If any fellowship of the spirit. 2 Corinthians 13:14 reads, "The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all." 1 Corinthians 12:13 we're told that we'll be baptized into one body in the Holy Spirit. And then individually at Pentecost we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Christ promises a helper. Do you have this helper? Do you have the Spirit? Paul's saying, if you do, which I know you do, be unified. And then lastly, the fourth basis, the fourth piece, the fourth corner of this foundation, consolation in Christ, comfort and love, Fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and now, bowels and mercies. Now, this is probably the most confusing of the four, but I think most of you will have probably heard of the word bowels before in your Bibles. It has to do with this affection, this tenderness, this tender love. And here, many think that Paul is using a device to combine two words into one more powerful word, bowels and mercies. Almost an affectionate, a deep a deep mercy of God that comes from God onto us. Now, some kids could confuse this if you take the E out. This doesn't have to do with the thing you put Captain Crunch cereal in, nor is it just guts of a man on the battlefield. No, this is the heart, the inner Feelings and emotions. This is God's love and mercy and affection towards us. Think of the prodigal son. When the son has been away from the father for so long, he sinned, he wasted all the money, he comes back to the father, and the father embraces him. He embraces him. Even when he had done all these things that were wrong. And in the same way, our Father has affection. He is merciful to us. So Paul gives the Philippians four blessings. So he's reminding us, as well as them, that we have all these things in our God. But so what? Okay, so I have comfort in Christ. I have this mercy of God upon myself. I have fellowship of the Spirit. But what does that mean for today? I mean, that's comforting, right? But then the question is, what do we do with this? And that's what verse 2 goes into. So now Paul says, you have these four things, the four cornerstones, the four alarms. Now I'm going to show you why those are important, what that's going to lead us towards. And what we see is that he encourages the Philippians to be unified because of those things. Let's read verse 2 of chapter 2 in Philippians. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Be like minded. He's encouraging them to be unified to be one as a church, to be like-minded. What does it mean to be like-minded? I always have a hard time thinking through, what does it mean to be like-minded? Does it mean to be thinking the same things? Does it mean to be doing the same things? I think the answer is yes to both questions. Um, I debated whether I should tell this story. i told it before when teaching on this passage, but I guess I'll tell it to you. So when I was in high school, uh, myself and my friends were doing what any rebels would do in the bathroom. We were bouncing a bouncy ball. That's not what you were thinking? Okay. (laughs) Well, we're bouncing a bouncy ball in the bathroom when we should be heading to class. And then we start realizing if we bounce it really hard, you ever done this before? It hits the ground. Then it hits the ceiling, then it hits the ground, and you kind of get a ricochet effect. So we start throwing it harder. Da-dum, 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 da-dum. Now, these were old bathrooms with those old cylinder fluorescent lights that didn't have covers on them. Yeah, you can see where this is going. So we're bouncing this bouncy ball, and we're avoiding the lights. And. One of us throws it as hard as we can off the ground and it bounces and it hits the very edge of the light. Not the glass, but the very edge. And it slowly unlatched and started swinging down. At this moment, we're all booking it. We're all running out of the bathroom as fast as we can. But as we're looking over our shoulders, the light bulb landed on the floor. And balanced straight up and down. <laughs> and at that moment, with our heads turned, we all turned back towards the light bulb and sprint to try to catch it. And we didn't. It smashed. <laughs> but there, in that example, you see, my friends and I, we all had our eyes on the same thing. We were all Unified around the same task, and we were all thinking the same thing. We need to catch this light bulb before we get in trouble. Now that is much different than following Christ, but it is similar in some ways. Our minds need to be like-minded. We need to have the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So what does it mean? What do these things mean? Having the same love. Do you love Christ? That draws you together. If your friend and your brother in Christ loves Christ like you do, that's going to bring you together. If you love believers, which we're called to do, that's going to bring you together. If you love the lost and you want to see them come to faith, that's going to bring you together as a church. We need to have the same love. Thirdly, we need to be of one accord. Now, this is a difficult phrase. Um, this could have the idea of fellow souls, but really it's, he's still hammering in the same idea, having a unity of feelings, thoughts, and actions. And then lastly, he says, be of one mind. So you see, he describes unity with these four things, and it's kind of strange because you see the first one, what does he say? Be like-minded. And what's the last one? of one mind. What's the difference? Well, there might not be that much of a difference between those two things. It's almost like, who here likes sandwiches? Like sandwiches? What about subs? Think about like-mindedness, having the same mind as the two pieces of bread, and having the same love and being of one accord, it's just the rest of the sandwich. Paul is just making this unity sandwich that we all need to eat. That's what's going to bring us together by being like-minded, having the same love of one accord and being of one mind. So you say, okay, I'm on board. Are you on board? Do you want to be unified as a body? Do you want to have the same love? Be like-minded. Do you desire that? Because that's a mark of being a Christian, to love your brothers and sisters in Christ and to love your Father together. And then the question is, if you do, is that even possible? Then the question is, is that even possible? Can we be unified? Because if you've been around long enough, you've probably seen a lot of disunity. Um, When I was about would have been when I was about 10 years old, I saw my first church split. And I still remember that to this day, just how difficult that was. Some of my friends, um, they ended up going to a different church. And that was so depressing and saddening, and I didn't understand. And what caused it? Well, disunity. So how are we going to have this unity? If this really is a good thing that, God wants for us, unity, how do we get there? So Paul describes humility in the next section. So how are humility and unity connected? Well, let's see. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own, own things, but every man also on the things of others." Now you'll notice a pattern here. The first two commands, how we think, a negative, then a positive, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, negative, positively, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And then how we act, the second two commands, how we act, negative, Look not every man on his own things. And then you guessed it. It goes back to positive. But every man also on the things of others. So Paul gives us four descriptions of what humility looks like. Positive, negative, positive, negative. I've reversed them, but you get the idea. He's saying what it doesn't look like, and then he says what it does look like. I think two good examples of what humility doesn't look like are Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh and Ebenezer Scrooge from The Christmas Carol. Everybody thinks of Ebenezer Scrooge when they think of the lack of humility. Why? He hoards all the money to himself, all he can think about is himself, and he doesn't care about another living soul, and I won't tell you how the story ends because you can go watch it if you want. <laughs> but Winnie the Pooh, how is Eeyore a bad example of this? Well, the character Eeyore is this donkey in Winnie the Pooh, and Eeyore always does one thing, and that is he doesn't, he doesn't think he's a good person. He's always like, having a bad day. I'm such a bad person. This is going very badly. I'm very bad. And that is not humility. Humility does not just look down upon oneself, but it's actually taking your eyes off yourself completely and moving them to Christ. And that's what we see at the end of this passage. Verse 6 through 11. Who, sorry, verse 5. To be humble is to look to Christ, to take your eyes off yourself and to worship Him, to bow your knee to Christ, to set your mind and your heart on the things of Christ. Because if you just tried to pull your bootstraps up, if you just try harder, you're never going to achieve humility because humility was never about you trying harder. It's about you trusting in Christ. In closing, I want to read Isaiah 53 that talks about Christ's death, quote: "He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if were our faces from him, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows." Yet we did not esteem him stricken. Smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, what Jesus did on the cross, Paul is saying, In verse 5, let this mind be in you. Now, you can't die on the cross for your brothers and sisters in Christ. But what you can do is take that humility that Christ had in coming to this earth and dying for you. You can have that same attitude, that same love, that same heart for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that humility, Paul is saying, is going to lead to unity. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what your son did on the cross. We don't deserve such grace and mercy, but you have lavished it upon us and we are thankful and grateful. Pray for gospel, that you would just bring about a unified spirit in this church, that they would work together and not against each other Um, all for your glory, the glory of your Son, that every tongue may confess that Jesus is Lord. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.